Good morning, everybody. Beautiful Sunday morning to all of you. Hope you're uh, here to this morning at the Digital Cathedral with your spirit ears on, your spirit eyes wide open. You're ready to receive some awesome good news this morning. I, every time I come to the Digital Cathedral, I come with a heart to give you good news. I never come with bad news. Have you noticed that? I never, I never back the truck up and give you a whole load of garbage. I bring good news that will change your life if you listen. All right, this morning we're reaching a milestone. We're, we're ending our study today in the book of Galatians. If, you're, if you follow me closely on the Digital Cathedral, you know we're coming through the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians this year. Uh, kind of a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study. And this morning we're ending our first book, the book of Galatians. This, this sixth chapter is Paul's conclusion to what he's been teaching and writing to these napias. Remember back, Levels of Sonship and Napias as an infant, they were brand new believers. And Paul is recognizing, when he writes to them, he's recognizing how vulnerable they are, how impressionable they are, how much they have vacillated between law and grace, depending on who was ministering and teaching. They're just kind of like some folks today. When they get in one church, they believe that. They get into another church, they believe this. They really have not settled into who they are, what they possess, and what they actually believe uh, for themselves. So this final appeal that Paul gives in chapter 6 of Galatians really covers four areas. So I want to go over those four areas, and then we're going to talk about uh, spirit leadership a little bit more. I want to dovetail into what I was teaching you last week uh, with just some very practice. Last week was kind of spiritual. Last week you had to be tuned into the spirit. This this week, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get very practical with you, okay? But let me, let me walk you through this sixth chapter of Galatians to set the stage for what we want to say. Galatians chapter 6. Let me read the first five verses. He breaks this down into four sections. <clears throat> he says, brethren, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> he says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So he's pulling on the ones that are more spiritual. He says, people are going to fall away. They're going to have problems. They're going to miss the mark. And he says, it's the responsibility of those of you that have a sense of spirit to restore, not to condemn, not to judge, not to put out of the fellowship, not to revoke their membership or, or, or do anything that is hurtful. He said, it's your job to restore them. So this is a good mark. You can tell those within the body of Christ that have some maturity, have some level of spiritual understanding, they're the ones that do the restoration. They're not the ones that point the fingers and do the judging. So Paul's appealing to them, to these brand new Christians, and you know, probably the most spiritual among them was not all that spiritual. But Paul is saying the, the, most, the more spiritual, here's what you need to do. Verse, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, he is nothing. He deceives himself. But let each one examine his own works. In other words, mind your own business. Take care of your own stuff. And then he will have rejoicing, then he will have rejoicing in him alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So the first, first section, this first five verses... Paul is saying, I want you to be very empathetic to those that miss it. 
Those that the law comes back in and overtakes them, those that fall back into religion, he said, I, I want you to uh, restore them. He, sa he says, if they've fallen from grace, extend the grace. In verse 2, he says, show them the kind of love and the grace that Christ has shown to you. Can you pull on that, he says. Pull on what he's given you and you give to somebody else. Just know Paul's telling them, know that the law is going to make them judgmental. So when they come back into the church, they've been snared by law, they will start to judge. They'll tell you, well, yet that great stuff that you're listening to, that's really not the gospel of Jesus. So he says, I want you to take that and I want you to just nip it in the bud. First five verses, he's saying, be kind to one another, be tolerant of one another. Somebody messes up, restore them and take care of your own business. So love everybody. First thing he says, love everybody, be quick to restore, and make sure that your own house is swept clean. Now in verses 6 to 10, he hits another section. So let's read this. He says, let him who is taught with the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also reaps. For he who reaps to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, the conclusion is, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those that are the household of faith. What is he saying in verses 6 to 10? He's saying, be generous, be givers, you know, th I love this sixth chapter because when I read it, it reminds me of parents that are leaving the house and they're letting the kids maybe for the first few times stay at home while mom and dad go shopping, go to the mall, maybe go to friend's house for the evening. The kids are staying home. So just before the parents walk out the door, they give the children the, the instructions that they want them to remember for sure. In other words, don't let a stranger in the house uh, don't turn the oven or stove on. Uh, if you need us, here's the number where you can reach us. Y'all get along, don't fight. I mean, the, the parents give the last minute instruction to the children before they leave the house. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, these are the things I really want you to remember. Be generous, be givers, do what you know to be the right thing. And uh, he gives out some great counsel. And he's saying, whatever you do, you're going to get back. You sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh. Sow to the, you sow to the flesh, you reap judgment, you reap condemnation, you get it back. But he said, if you sow to the Spirit, then you're going to get love, patience, and joy. There's going to be a return back on that. We read in chapter 5, Paul broke it down as fruit of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. So he's, he's reminding them that whatever you sow, you sow to the flesh, this is what you get. You sow to the Spirit, this is what you get. In verses 11 through 15, he makes another little section. Verse 11, he says, See what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised or get back under the law. Only, they, only that they may suffer persecution for the cross of Christ, that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. When you get back under law, you know, you come out of grace, get back under law, you don't suffer a lot of persecution for the cross. You may suffer some persecution for your weirdness of, <laughs> of standards, like, you know, we don't go to movies, we don't drink or smoke, or we don't, you know, whatever. 
We don't roller skate. You, you may get some people to look at you sideways for that, but they don't persecute you for being weird for Jesus. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Wow. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You know, well, let me, let me finish. Now, I'll, I'll make my comments. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither uncircumcision nor circumcision avails anything. Only thing it avails to him, he says, is a new creation. So Paul takes a final call to avoid the law at any cost. And he points out some really, really interesting things here in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, he says, As many as desire to make a good showing of the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. They want to look good in the flesh, so they're going to put the law back on you, but they're not going to get persecution for the cross of Christ. They're going to get acclamation for making a convert back under the law. That's what he's really saying. But then he says, even those that are circumcised don't keep the law. So what, what Paul is, is telling them in verses 11 to 15, he's showing how the law breeds hypocrisy, and it always does. You show me a legalistic church, and I will show you a hypocritical, judgmental group of people. The law does that. The law is the strength of sin, Paul said. You, get, you show me a fellowship of people, a denomination, that, is, that are highly legalistic. And I will show you a church that is filled with hypocrisy. People that proclaim it but don't do it. But are quick to want to bring other people in the, into the circumcision, back into the law of that particular denomination or fellowship, strap it on them even though they know they're not keeping it. And pastors are famous for that. Not keeping it themselves in their private life or when they leave town, but they want to put it on everybody else. That's what he's getting at, how judgmental it is. So in Galatians chapter 6, he makes a, a final farewell in verses 16 to 18. And he, and he uh, says this, Galatians chapter, let me get back up just a second here, but Galatians chapter 6, verse 18. He gives his final, final farewell, 16, 17, and 18. He said, And as many as walk according to the rule of peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God, from now on let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit Amen. So this, this sixth chapter is all about learning how to make good choices and decisions. Learning how to not teach yourself. Strap back under the law by, in, in their case, by being circumcised. Not submitting to those that are hypocritical but want to put you back under great restriction. How to choose to be generous. How to choose... Uh, to help other people that are being snared by law, how to bring them out. This whole chapter is about making good, godly decisions. Decisions that are prompted by spirit and not by soul. 
And if you didn't watch last uh, Sunday's teaching at the Dig Digital Cathedral, you need to go back and watch last Sunday's teaching because we, we talked about that a lot. Not making decisions that arise out of our soul, out of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Out of data that our five physical senses feeds our mind and making a choice of, of, of being logical rather than uh, responding to that voice that is within. It's, you know, it's a flat-out mark of maturity to listen and respond from deep within instead of using your soul as the filter through which you make decisions or judge or put on other people uh, restrictions. The spirit within is a great mentor. It's a great guide. It'll take you everywhere. And as, as we come into this, and I want to make this really practical today, really practical, as we, as we come into this walk, I think there are some basic spirit guidelines that will help us. Now, at the end of the day, I, and I'm going to come through these, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get you snared up in any pattern or box you in at all. At the end of the day, above everything else, listen, follow the peace that is within you. Follow the peace. Above everything else, follow the peace. Have you got it? Now, the best news is it's not up to you to figure out the plan. So when we walk by spirit, it's not up to us to figure out the plan. It was up to us to figure out the plan when we walked under soulish inclinations. We had to devise the plan. It's, it's his job to reveal it to you, then also equip you to do what he reveals. That verse of scripture from Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 is, is life-changing. It says very simply this, it is God who works in you. It is God doing the work both to do and to will of his good pleasure. That verse takes all the heat, all, all, of, the, all of the pressure off of you to figure out the plan and, and how to do it. He's saying it's God's job to put his will in you and then to give you the ability to do that will. It is God who works in you both to will and to do. The will and the do is his part. So the message today is all about learning to cooperate with his plan. Learning how to follow his will for your life. As he reveals it and as he empowers you to do it. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want to ask you seven questions to ask yourself before you make a big decision. Now, everybody in the digital cathedral has either just come out of making a, a, a big choice, big decision, you're in the process of making a, a big decision, big choice, or you will shortly be making a big decision, a big choice in your life. So I want to give you some questions that help you. And again, let me say, this is not to put legalism on you. It's not to say that you have to do this. I'm just sharing with you some of the things that I have developed for me that help me to zone in on what the Spirit of God is saying to me, to help me eliminate some of the, the uh, mistakes that I have made in the past, okay? Those, the Spirit will speak to us, and, and when you're beginning this, you don't hit it 100%. So what I'm trying to do with these seven questions is narrow the air percentage down for you to help you with this. So this is extremely practical. All right, first question, before you make a decision, before you make a major choice in life, and you want to hear the voice of the Spirit, this is, these, these are seven aids 
to hearing the leading of the Spirit in your life. First question is this. Is this consistent with God's Word? Is this consistent with God's Word? And let me just hasten to add in there, not just the written Word, but the Word that He's spoken to you. The Word that He's spoken to you. Is it consistent? Is it in line with? Does it agree with? In, in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 5 and 6, let me read this for you. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, all of your inner man. The more you trust him, the easier it is to hear him. All right. So trust in him with all of your heart, your inner man. We're talking, working out inside out. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Put him first, right? Is, is this consistent with what he's saying to me? All your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So let's just read those two together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't even lean to your own understanding. Don't, don't lean to those soulish inclinations of mind, will, and emotions. Chuck that. Set it aside. Trust in Him. All right? My trust is in you, Lord. And He says in verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. So, is this consistent with what I... I read in Scripture or what He is speaking to me. That's God's Word. Sometimes you, you can look for a Scripture that kind of aligns itself with the, with the right way to go. Uh, what I found with Scripture is a lot of times Scripture is not real specific. Like, should I resign my job and move to that city? You're not going to find a job, you're not going to find a Scripture in here that says, Pastor Keithley, I want you to to resign the digital cathedral and I want you to move to Florida and just sit by the beach all day. I'm not going to find a verse of scripture that says that. Now the word of the Lord might come to me, not in scripture, but what he quickens in me. So then I can use something like Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 that says, Trust in him with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So that becomes an aid to what he is speaking to me from within. Now, the Scripture is full of good principles. I, I'm not opposed to Scripture. You know that. I use a lot of Bible when I teach. I'm not one of these guys that have chucked the Bible in the trash can and say it's, it's worthless and don't read it anymore. I'm not one of those. I love my Bible. There's a lot of life principles in the Bible, passages that give us wisdom that applies to a lot of circumstances. But you have to understand, whatever we read in Scripture, the Word of God, it's not, I told you how this became the Word of God. Those that believe in a dictation form of inspiration, where God just dictates word for word, that's how they call this the Word of God, because God dictated it. This is not, you don't have to call this, this never calls itself the Word of God. So when you read Word of God in Scripture, you have to understand that you, you can find the Word of God a lot of places. And one of the places that's rich in the Word of God is Scripture. But don't use this as, as sola Scripture, as the only source of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. It's not so. For example, in Psalm 119, back up just a little bit. Let me get over to Psalm 119, read a couple of Scriptures for you. Psalm 119 in verse 11 says this. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Now, the word that you hide in your heart might be a scripture that you read that really resonates. I mean, you go, wow, that really speaks to me. Hide it in your heart. Meditate it. That's how you hide it. You contemplate. You think about it. You roll it over and over and over. So you take, take what you get out of here and you feed inside with it. It might come from something you sense, you perceive. You know, your frequency, the vibration, all you sense him speaking to you. Take it and hide it. In, in other words, Scripture can be a great guide. Also, the Word of the Lord or the Word of God can be what He, what he speaks to you. If it's, if it's to be useful, you got to read it. You have to contemplate it. If He speaks to you, you got to meditate it. Pull the wisdom out of it and place it within. Now, if you come down in that same Psalm 109, verse 105, He says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. So again, you may read something out of here that is not specific to what you're asking or what you're wanting to know. But as you read it and hide it in your heart, it makes you very sensitive to what the Holy Spirit would say. You notice what he said? He said, your word's a lamp to my feet. So if he speaks a word, you read a word, you're reading a book, and something comes out of that and just goes, wow, that's for me. Let it be a lamp. Let it be a light. It'll, it'll, it'll show you the way to walk in it. So the first thing you want to ask yourself, is this consistent with God's word? Second question you want to ask yourself, is this a wise decision? Is this a wise decision? Again, let me, let me go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is filled with lots of wisdom. Gives you a lot of practical advice. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, and there we come, Proverbs. All right, let's get back here to chapter 4. I keep skipping right over it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Check this out. He says, wisdom is the principal thing. All right, is this a wise decision? Is this a wise? Wisdom is the principal thing. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the application of divine knowledge. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. So you take, you take the knowledge that you get from what he's saying to you, you pull out of scripture, you take that knowledge and you begin to apply it in your life. That's wisdom. Is this a, is this a wise decision? All right, now here's a couple of sub-questions under this. Is, this. is this a wise decision? Here's what you want to think. How, how do you know if this is a wise decision? All right, begin to think. What's the future consequences to this decision? We often make all kinds of choices and decisions without any consideration that the ramifications of this decision will have long term. We think very short term. Does it give me instant gratification? See, the, the Spirit of God will show you. When you begin to say, Father, I want to do the wise thing here. This opens the door for you to walk in spirit and for the spirit to begin to show you if you're rushing into something. Am I, am I making a hasty decision that is not right? Are you rushing into it? I, the guideline in my life to know that if I'm rushing into buying a car, buying a house, changing positions, changing course in life, the way that I know that I'm rushing into it is if I feel driven and compelled to make a choice. 
The Spirit leads you. He draws you. He guides you. It's your senses that, that, that drive you. You're, the Spirit draws. It pulls. It woos. The flesh drives. So if you're, if you're rushing into something, that rushed feeling is that feeling that I'm being driven. And I, I got to do something. I got to make a choice. I got to make a decision. The, most of the time you can just back up, slow down, take a breath, and listen to the Spirit. All right. Will this create debt? Is it a wise decision? Will it create debt? You know, I, I would tell you this, owe nobody anything. The best way to get out of debt is, is to stop adding to your debt. The first, the hardest car to pay for is the, one, the first one you pay for in cash. The first house that's hardest to pay for is the first one you pay off. It's a free life. I can tell you right now, I, I don't owe anybody anything. I have no credit card balances, no house payment, no car payment. I owe nobody anything. For, you know, the first 60-some years of my life, I couldn't say that. It took work. It took sacrifice. I had to cut here. I had to cut there. I had to have a strategy to get out of debt. But I'll tell you what. A wise decision is a decision that keeps you out of debt. I am not going back in debt. I don't want to go back in debt. All right. And so the other thing you want to ask yourself, is it a wise decision? Will this harm anybody? Is this, is this decision going to be detrimental to somebody else? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives a little insight into that. In, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, you know, I wish I had the ability to throw these scriptures up on the screen for you because when you read them, it helps a whole lot. I know that. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, you can always write them down and then you can look at them a little later. Ephesians 5, 17, Paul says this, Therefore, do not be unwise. All right, we want to say, is this a wise decision? Paul says, don't be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. So you want to make a wise decision. Am I rushing into something? Is this going to put me into debt? Is it going to harm somebody? As you ask these little questions, these smaller questions, as you begin to go through this list of seven questions that I'm giving you, and even the sub-questions, what it does, it, it, it allows the Holy Spirit to begin to give you the red light or the green light. I often look at the leadership of the Holy Spirit like that. I look at it as red light, green light, yellow light. Green light, I'm feeling inside, go. Red light, I'm sensing inside, stop. Yellow light, I'm feeling, okay, go really slow. Use a lot of caution right here. Now, the world doesn't want to box you in, into that kind of thinking. The world wants you to adhere and conform to its wisdom, which is always the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The world's wisdom is always based on choices that you make that seem right because of what is logical, reasonable, and feels good. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says in the, in the first verse of Romans chapter 12, he says, 
I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let this world put you into its box of tree of knowledge of good and evil. We, we were programmed that all our lives, and I'm telling you, it's hard to come out of it. I understand it. I empathize with you. It's not an easy transition. When we stop thinking like the box the world crammed us into, life becomes simpler and easier. He said, don't, don't be pushed into that. That you may know what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So we want to move through that good and acceptable. We want to hit the perfect will of God. So is this a wise decision? Is this a wise, is God the source of motivation here? Is he behind this or do I feel compelled? All right, question number three. This deals with conscience. This deals with conscience. Question number three. Can I honestly ask God to enable me to accomplish this? Can I honestly ask God to enable me to accomplish this? This deals with conscience. Acts chapter 24. Paul had a lot to say about conscience. If, you're, if your conscience is condemning you, I'm telling you what, it's a hard road to hoe. In uh, Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, the writer says, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. Toward God and man. Toward God. I always strive to have a conscience that is not offending God. I'm not, I'm not coming to him with a plan already preconceived that is going to be offensive to the conscience of God, which thereby offends my conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul gives young Timothy some great advice on conscience. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1 verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they may teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and from sincere faith. So can I honestly ask God, question number three, can I honestly ask God to enable me to achieve this? Anything you acquire outside of a good conscience, anything that you ask or you're seeking that violates a good conscience will eventually turn to ashes because it's a product of the flesh. It's a product that emanates out of the soul, the reason, the, the, the strong self-will. For, for, for example, for example, if you need money and if you get involved with something that is what's called a, you know, a, a get-rich-quick scheme and when you get involved in this get-rich-quick scheme, it, it's just a little deceptive. 
It's, it's not really illegal, totally illegal. It's just a little shady. It's only a little bit of a hustle. And so you get involved in this because, man, you're pressed for money. You're pressed for finances. It's, it's not black, it's not, but it's not white. It's just that, that iffy area. So you're involved in this get-rich-quick scheme, and now you're praying night and day for God to bless it. That's not having a pure conscience before God. God will not be in it. I don't care how much you pray, how much you beg, plead, fast, ask others to join you in a prayer of agreement, plead your case. God's not getting involved with a get-rich-quick scheme that's just a little shady, just a little off-center. Can you honestly stand before God and say, God, look, I'm coming to you a clean, good, clear conscience. I know this doesn't violate your ethics either. And I'm asking, is this what I should do? Now, for those of you that are in ministry, a lot of you on the Digital Cathedral, pastors you watch other times, or you're, you're part of a ministry, you're watching this from your house with 15, 20 other people. This is your Sunday morning church. I want to say to those of you that are in ministry, you will encounter, absolutely, people that come to you with ideas, Always under the guise of they want to raise money to help your ministry, help your church. That's not the motivation. The motivation is to line their pockets. It's not to advance your cause. It's for you to help them advance their cause. I've been approached by all kinds of things. Crazy things. And I learned over the years, I don't deal with it. I, I let one of the elders, one of the deacons deal with it. I, I'm not going to get involved. You don't want to be, listen, in ministry or, or everybody. You don't want to be involved with anything that you and God can't partner in. You want, to, you want to always know that you can lean against your senior partner. You can come to the Father. You can have a clear conscience. You're seeking direction, more decisions. I have, to, I have to turn right, turn left, show me what to do. You can't do that if you don't come with a good conscience. All right, question number four. This is big. This is huge. Do I have a genuine peace about this? Don't fool yourself. Don't try to talk yourself into a peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let, you, you get yourself, how do you do that? You put yourself in neutral gear where you're not for it, you're not against it. You let the peace of God rule. The Greek word there is umpire. You know what an umpire does? Umpire says, you're out or you're safe. Umpire says, ball or strike. Umpire says, fair or foul. All right? That's what an umpire does. That's what you should be in neutral. The umpire doesn't have a preset mind. The umpire is not prejudiced whether it's a ball or a strike. He simply calls it as he sees it. And that's what you have to let peace do. For you to let peace be an umpire in your heart, you have got to put yourself into neutral gear where you're not pushing for it or running from it. You're saying, Father, I'm coming to you. I really need to know. I want to know what you're saying. I want the peace to guide me. So don't let maybe this project, this business has tremendous potential. Uh, uh, you know, this, this business or the relationship or the ministry uh, you really want to do it. It just looks so right. Don't let it override your peace. Make sure that your peace is strong with this. When you pray about it, give God a chance to respond in peace. 
Sometimes, sometimes what you want to do is actually God's will, but the timing is off. It's not just for the present moment. So until the timing is right, you're not going to experience peace. Until the timing is right, you'll feel anxious. You'll feel driven. Just That's why I put the yellow light in there. there I, I'm becoming very sensitive to the yellow light. I developed red and green good. Now I'm learning the yellow light. Where, where it's like, okay, inch your way just a little bit into this because to get the timing right of this, you need to slow it down. Now, before to get the timing right, he would have given me the red light. You just need to stop because you're going to charge into this way too fast. I'm sensing the yellow light. So just because he says, wait, wait, it might be frustrating till you learn how to flow with the yellow light. If you really want something, it's hard, it's hard not to, right? I understand that. But think of the safety that we have as sons and daughters that are now manifesting in the earth. Think of the, of, of the safety we as believers have, knowing that God is not going to lie to us. He's not going to mislead us. He's going to guide us. He will always take us, always take us. Red light, green light, yellow light. He always takes us in a direction that's to our best interest, that's to our greatest benefit, to our greatest profit. And all we have to do is be sharp enough to listen and follow along with it. Walking in the Spirit is a walk of neutral trust. Let me say again, the more you trust Him, the easier it is to hear Him. And peace helps guide us to God's will. And the key word in peace is the word neutrality. Number five, this deals with character. This deals with character. Does this decision, this choice I need to make, does it fit who I am as a follower of Jesus? Does it compromise my position? Does it, does it put me in the wrong light? It, it, as I stand as a representative of Jesus, is it, is it acceptable? Will this be looked upon as something that creates an image of inconsistency in my life? Now let me, let me say again, I, I'm not trying to put rules on you, laws on you, regulations. I'm not trying to say you've got to jump through hoops. I'm just saying as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, as a son of God, a daughter of God, does this ring a bell of consistency? Does this, does this let people see my authentic identity, image and likeness of God? God, God will... Uh, Make decisions always for us. He'll lead us into decisions that will always help me avoid unnecessary bad decisions and problems that I create myself. That, that's, that's God's over underlying principle in everything. He wants to keep you from hurtful situations. And a lot of the hurtful situations we get ourselves into, then we got to get bailed out of, are those things that really are not consistent with who we are as a follower. Making decisions that, al that allows me to hold grudges toward people. See, that, that's not how I reflect my authentic identity. That makes me gossip or have harsh criticism are not good, solid, wise decisions. So before I make a choice to enter into that conversation, to judge somebody, is that judgment and those that hear it, is that going to reflect who I want them to see me as? Those decisions don't fit who I am as a follower. All right, number six. Number six. Does this choice and decision fit the overall plan that God has for my life? 
Learn to look at the long view. This, we're in a marathon. We're not in a sprint. Does this decision fit the overall plan that God has for my life? You say, well, I don't know what the overall plan God has for my life is. It's whatever you're doing now. That's his plan. If you're part of the digital cathedral, I'll tell you something. You're not, you can't miss God's will. <laughs> you're going to be right in the center of it. In other words, does this fit God's purpose for my life? God has a specific plan for every person. And he will direct you to make choices that fit his plan. Again, Proverbs says that we, uh, we make choices. But it's God that directs our steps. All right, so the way I end up walking or going, it might not be my choice. But he's the one that's going to direct me. Number seven, will this decision bring honor to the Father? Will this decision bring honor to the Father? Am I showing respect and reverence for the Father in this choice, this cause, this action, this course? When I'm making an important decision, determining if it fits who you know the Father to be. Father's not angry, not jealous, not vindictive, not, he doesn't, not full of retribution. Is this decision going to make me that way? Or is this decision going to make me more like him? Or am I just doing my own thing? See, people watch us, the choices we make, the decisions we make, to see if we're consistent. We, we read in Scripture where Paul said, look, you know, people under the law, they're hypocritical. We don't want to be hypocritical people. We really don't. So we learn to follow spirit. We learn to walk in spirit. You walk in spirit, you will not be hypocritical. It's important that every decision reflect an obedient decision toward the Lord. All right, let me say this. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. I think I've given you strong, seven very strong practical questions to ask yourself. Last week, we were very spiritual. How to walk in spirit. This week, I'm adding to that, like Paul added six, chapter 6 to 5, to give you some easy practical guidance that will... Uh, enable you to hear quicker, more easily. Get the static out of the voice. All right, now listen. Once you know that you made the right decision and the right choice, you've come through the seven, you said, okay, those, those I've kind of checked those boxes. Then the question becomes, are you willing to follow the decision all the way to the end? All the way to the end. Mr. Pastor, you get a revelation of grace and you decide that you're going to teach it in church. Are you willing to follow that decision all the way to the end regardless of what costs you? Because you may, you may be criticized. You may be penalized. You may be misunderstood in some way. Think about Noah when he got the word to build an ark. I can't remember the name of the movie right now, but there's a movie about Noah building the ark and calling the animals. And all the criticism and all the, the interaction that Noah went through in getting the ark built was not easy. Or you hear a message out of a burning bush that says, go back to Israel, bring the children. And he says, okay, I'll go. Are you willing to follow that decision all the way through? Maybe God gives you a brand new truth. You see it as truth. You want to begin to teach it. You want to begin to live it. You decide to do it. Are you willing to follow that decision all the way to the end? No matter what, no matter what God may see fit to do with your life, I want you to know this. He always will bring you into the best possible course of action. You will never go wrong 
in following the voice of the Spirit from within. I love what Charles Stanley says. He says, obey God and leave the results to Him. Right? Obeying God is not outside, it comes from inside. It's not gathering data from without and making choice. It's hearing from within, the resonance, the frequency, the prompting, the gut feeling, and you following through with it. By obeying Him and watching Him work, you're going to see just how faithful He really is. Let's make a decision this week that we're going to obey God, trust God, and leave the absolute results to Him. Hope these seven questions ministered to you. Hope they weren't too practical, that those of you that are real spiritual couldn't get anything out of it. I Now and then I just got to bring it down to where we live to give some practical help. God bless you. Thank you for being with me today. I'll see you Wednesday night, and I'll be back with you in just a minute for the question of the week. God bless. All right, Digital Cathedral, one of the important things we've been doing added to our little uh, teaching on Sunday morning is the question of the week. And it's a question we can contemplate, meditate, and come together on Wednesday night and discuss, and you can comment and give your ideas. I've been blown away by what insight you have. Tremendous revelation has been coming to me through your messages and your comments on the question of the week. So let me give you a question. Let me ask you this. What simple thing has enabled you to zone in on the voice of the Spirit in your life? What simple thing or things have enabled you to hear the voice of the Spirit in your life? Let's share some wisdom. What we share and comment helps other people. Things that you pick up just like these seven questions, very simple, very practical, but they, they enable and empower people. Your comments enable people too. So let's share what simple things have enabled you to zone in on the prompting or the voice of the Spirit in your life. Let me once again just say thank you for being with me. Thank you for your support, your love, your prayers. God bless all of my partners that are joining with me on a monthly basis to help us keep this gospel that's good news, man, all good news rolling out to the nations. I love being a part of it. I love making this journey with you. We'll see you Wednesday night on the Wednesday Night Live and next Sunday morning on Digital Cathedral. Have a wonderful week. God bless.